Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. Have you ever wondered about the stuff inside your stuff? <laughs> well, MIT-trained chemist and science educator George Zidan has. His name may be familiar as the co-host of CNBC's Make Me a Millionaire Inventor. Now he's also working with National Geographic to produce the YouTube series Ingredients, the stuff inside your stuff. I recently talked with George about the series and how it got its start. Um, no, I, I can't. You know, I can't claim credit to be the first person ever who's thought of explaining, uh, you know, what the ingredients in your stuff do. Um, but uh, but I got the idea for the show a while ago when um, I was watching a commercial on TV and it was for an ice cream and this little kid was trying to read the ingredients label on the back of the ice cream and he couldn't pronounce any of the chemicals <laughs> and then the announcer comes on and he's like. Because this kid can't pronounce it, it must be bad for you. Buy our ice cream, which only has like milk, eggs, and you know all the stuff that you can pronounce. And so it got me thinking, like, huh, I wonder, you know, how accurate that really is. Uh, and then it just, uh, you know, just went from there. If you if you if you're in the shower, you're automatically going to read the ingredients in the back of the shampoo bottle. It's just a it's just a fact of human nature. Um, and uh, and then that got me wondering too, like, you know, what what's in what's in your stuff, what does it do, and how far is it away from stuff you could actually get from nature? Like, is it even possible to make conditioner using remotely natural ingredients? So things like that got me got me sort of thinking about the show. Hmm. And I approached uh, Nat Geo with the idea, and they were they were really excited about it. This was right around the time when um, uh, you know Fox bought out the remaining share of the society, and they were very interested in getting back into their their roots of sort of intelligent, um, you know, sort of nerdy content, and I think that made it sort of a perfect fit. I know from having watched some of the some of the episodes. I think one in particular, hand sanitizer, trying to recreate that out of stuff uh, at home didn't really work out all that great. So I'm guessing yeah. that sometimes it's just not quite possible to make these things at at home. Yeah, and hand sanitizer is a really interesting example because, you know, the, the, the sort of key part of hand sanitizer, the hand sanitizer that we use on a daily basis, uh, is that it's a gel. And, uh, and the reason for that is, is not because it helps, you know, the alcohol kill the germs any better. It's just because it's much more convenient to use if it's a gel than if it's a liquid. So, um, uh, and the, the problem with the gel is that there really aren't that many to my knowledge, good gelling agents in nature that aren't destroyed by 70, 80, 90% alcohol. So in this case, you have two things that are just not going to work together. So, so yeah, for hand sanitizer, it just didn't work out. And there might be some way to do it, you know, with, um, with a gelling agent that I hadn't thought of or some other, some other method in the recipe, but my first attempt was a total failure. <laughs> What what what's been the most interesting thing that you have uh, you have deconstructed? Um, so I think actually lipstick was my favorite one. <laughs> lipstick was my favorite one because um, a couple of reasons. One is that there's some surprising stuff in lipstick. So um, I didn't know before I started this process that a couple of the things that make lipstick red, or not not all lipsticks, but some lipsticks red, um, are uh, or is rust. So one of them is just you know iron oxide, just plain old rust. And another is um, these bugs called cochineal uh, bugs, scale insects that are just ground up, dried, and then dissolved in water, and that 
turns that water a brilliant red color, and then that gets put in lipstick. Um, so that was the most. So those are the that was the most sort of surprising thing, and then even more surprising was that you can actually make pretty good lipstick at home using ingredients you probably already have in your kitchen. Um, so just you know oils, uh, coconut oil, I think olive oil. We use some beeswax. You mix it all up together in the right proportions. You add some rust. You add some. If you have some ground up bugs, you add those. But you know, I didn't use that in my recipe, and you can get really good lipstick. Uh, I have I have visions of the bugomatic. I don't know. Just uh... <laughs> I see that you've got an upcoming episode that's on dry erase markers, and yeah. here in the newsroom we have dry erase boards over everything, and. Sometimes, though, dry erase doesn't always dry erase. So what's the mystery with how these things work? So dry erase markers are, are fascinating because this is the one um, product that we did that does not have the ingredients written on the, on the product packaging. And that's because it's, you know, it's not anything you would consume or hopefully apply to your face or your body in any way. So, um, well... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave what you guys do in the newsroom. You know, that, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, so we had to rely on other sources of information, and one of the, one of the good ones was a, a couple of patents that actually um, attempt to explain the entire dry erase, uh, the entire dry erase market. And so the way it works basically is this. You have um, three uh, things in a dry erase marker. The first is a solvent, and that is exactly what it sounds like. It's meant to dissolve everything else in the, when it's in the um, marker. The second is um, a mixture of pigment, so the color, whatever it is, and a resin. And the resin is just there to help the pigment spread evenly over the surface. And then the third thing is a release agent. And so the release agent you can basically think of as like something that's fatty or oily or uh, slippery uh, and, then, and, and does not dissolve in water. So... When the ink, the dry erase ink, the mixture of those three things is just sitting in the marker, the solvent will dissolve both those things, the release agent and also the, the resin and the pigment. When you draw on a dry erase board, the solvent evaporates really quickly. That's the smell you're smelling. Ah, okay. Evaporating, right? And then it leaves the, um, the pigment and the release agent on the board, but those two things actually don't dissolve in each other. So the oily, the fatty, the release agent stays below on the board, and then the pigment sort of um, floats on top of it. So when you go to erase, what you're really erasing is that resin pigment off the release agent, and that's why it can come off the board so easily without without adding any alcohol or anything else to the board. Interesting. We, we found, though, that if we can't get it off, if we write over it again mm-hmm. and then erase it, it comes off. Exactly, and that's because... What you're doing when you write over it again is you're taking the solvent from that uh, marker and you're re-dissolving the ink in the solvent. And that's why it comes off when you write over it. Ah. Now, is there a reason why some dry erase markers don't necessarily always work on some dry erase boards? Yeah, I mean, at that point it becomes a question of how smooth is the board. Maybe, you know, you've been using the board so, so much and erasing it so ah, much that okay. it, it, it's not as smooth as it was before. Or maybe the dry erase marker has been sitting around so long that some component of the ink has broken down over time and doesn't work as effectively as it used to. Um, but yeah, are there things that are just are difficult to explain? 
that products that exist that we use every day that just defied <laughs> scientific explanation? Sure. Um, I w nothing defies it completely, but yes, some things are definitely harder than others. Um, shaving cream is a good example. Um, figuring out how that works actually is was way more uh, work than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and it's way more work to explain how it works than I thought it would be. Um, but the, the payoff is really cool. So shaving cream is a, is a super interesting example. And if you have, I think I can do it in like 60 seconds. If I have okay. 60 seconds, I can give it a shot. Um, so, so basically, if you look at the ingredients on a shaving cream, you'll see a bunch of stuff, and then you'll see butane or propane. Um, which is the same uh, fuel that's used in a camping stove. But uh, before before you go running to try and like you know uh, throw your shaving cream bottles away, it's not going to explode. There's not enough butane or propane in there to make the whole thing flammable. But what it does is it actually dissolves, and the, can, the whole can is under pressure, right? So the butane, the butane or the propane dissolves in the soapy mixture, and so it becomes a liquid. And when you uh, when you push the button on the on the can and the, the shaving cream comes out. It goes from being pressurized at like four times atmospheric pressure to uh, a quarter of that, one atmospheric pressure, one atmosphere. And the butane and the propane and the shaving cream immediately go from being a liquid to being a gas. So they evaporate, they boil basically. Uh, and that's what causes the shaving cream to um, bubble up. And you don't really see the bubbles because they're so, so small. But you will see, if you, if you do this and you look closely, if you take uh, just your regular can of uh, shaving cream and squirt out a little bit quickly, you'll see that the shaving cream actually expand a little bit after it comes out of the can. And that's that butane and the propane um, boiling off, creating lots of tiny bubbles. Um, and that's what makes the shaving cream sort of airy and fluffy after it comes out of the can. That's the short explanation. <laughs> wow, and I, and then I guess gel shaving cream was just a variation on that. Yeah, so actually, uh, that's going to do it. That's going to be its whole own episode. Ah, okay. Slightly different. It's a slightly different mechanism, but yeah, basically, it's the same. It's the same general idea. Yes. I know. I, I think I've looked, and I don't know. There's like I think I saw like eight or nine different uh, episodes on the YouTube channel right now. How many of these do you have in mind? What's the What are you looking at in terms of the scope of this of this series? So there are going to be. Um, our, our last episode of this season comes out on Thanksgiving, so that'll be, uh, that'll be 11 total for this season. And then we have a list of something like 50 or 60 other products that we want to do uh, in future seasons. And a lot of that list actually has come from people who have watched the show and commented and said, hey, please do an episode on this, please do an episode on that. So, um, so it's really great to, to see people engaged and, and commenting and coming up with, with actually really great ideas for, uh, for, products, for products to do in the future. I was going to ask you, because you have that interactive uh, social media uh, component in there, um, what's the most interesting thing you think you've, you've received uh, so far that will potentially be part of an upcoming episode? Ah, uh, bath bombs. Ah. Bath bombs. That, one, that one, you know, I have no idea how, I have no idea how those work. And uh, I'd be really interested to, to try and find out and to see if I can make my own. That'd be really cool. That's chemist and science educator George Zidan. You can watch his series, Ingredients, The Stuff Inside Your Stuff, on National Geographic's YouTube channel. For this edition of In the Author's Voice, I'm Jeff Williams.